Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock on Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, the technologically impaired Al Sedano. <laughs> and with me again is Mr. Wizard, John Wilson. Saving the day instead of being the one saved, which is my Yay. usual role. <laughs> well, we're in reverse from uh, issues. Yeah, normally I'm the one with Skype issues, and he's having to, like, I have to call him because I can't receive calls and all this other jazz, but but today his computer decided to go into, I am broken and need to fix myself, and you are not doing anything until that's done mode, so. Yeah, and the annoying thing about working perfectly fine last night, so you had no clue. I turned it on this morning so we can record, and what the hell is this crap? Okay, not to derail us less than five minutes into the conversation, but I'm on Twitter, and I need to mm-hmm. get off Twitter, and Funko has tweeted out their um, Crypto and Ace the Bat Hound pops, and Ooh. they're part of a line called Dorbs, as in adorables, and they are so adorable! I'm going to send you this picture. Uh, did you not see, I forget which Twitter feed it was on, it was, no, it was on the Warlock Thanos feed. I bought the Cosmo, you know Cosmo the space dog. Oh yeah, I have a Cosmo Dorbs. Okay, I don't know how to get you this picture, um, but it's super amazing. You should go look at Funko later. Everyone, go I look will. at original Funko and scroll down to you know um, February twenty fifth, and it's there. It's great. Or just do a search on Twitter for Funko and Crypto, and I'm sure you'll find it. But yeah, the Cosmo Dorbs is adorable. I bought it last week. I'm looking you that one up. Funko Cosmo. Well, it's Marvel Cosmic. He's cute. I, yeah. Yeah, he's Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's Adam Warlock's it, team in the future. Yeah, eventually. Not, like, in his Magus future. In, like, what, the 2010 future, I think? Right. Okay. Somewhere so, around there. Speaking of oh, Warlock... And not, well, you, you diverted me, so actually, because you diverted my train of thought. I just remembered. I saw you on Twitter from earlier. Tell your daughter, Quicksilver hates everyone. That's what he I thought. Not, read X-Factor 87. Yeah, I've read X-Factor, 80, X-Factor 87, and I know yeah. about that. But yeah, he, like, she remembers everyone. him from our um, our comics reading from the 60s. And he is pretty... He's pretty... Demeaning might be too strong a word, but definitely better than thou to his sister. And then there's the epic moment where he's like, hey, sister, guess what? I'm getting married to Crystal. She's an inhuman, but I know you'll be accepting. And she's like, hey, brother, guess what? I'm marrying the Vision. He's a robot, but I know you'll be accepting. He's like, frog. No, there's that. But yeah, that's what that's what stood out in her mind as, as being misogynistic, which I agree. But I think it's more just like he's better than everybody and knows better. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, and this goes for – this actually isn't too much of a tangent because this kind of covers all things of comics anyway. Any character written by more than one person, things are going to change and fluctuate, and it's not always going to work out for the mo- – you know, all the way – all the same way. I mean, you know, Batman used guns. Superman, you know, people died in the early days. I like the idea that people grow and change. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's like that. It's, you kind of go with that if people grow and change, or just look at it as like, look, it's the mostly his personality is hates everybody. Occasionally, one or two people may have written him maybe a bit more misogynistic than hating everybody, or maybe they just focused on a person or two. 
But in the 60s, but, everyone was you know, For the most part. Somewhat, yeah. But for the comics. most part with Quicksilver, 80 to 90% of his personality has been always hates everybody. Yeah. So that's what I go with. I mean, yes, there are always specific examples. But, I mean, let's be of real life. You know, didn't Hitler love his dog? I mean, we can always look at the real life and go, well, he loved his dog. Doesn't mean he wasn't a complete <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah. speaking of orange people yes <laughs> oh god let's talk about our president <laughs> oh okay i wasn't sure where you were going. <laughs> yeah, no, I Warlock, you know i, no, I knew where you were going in our lives now i knew you were going with that one now I'm trying to decide I was going to cut that part out before because of the cursing, but now I'm not sure if I want to leave it in just because this is how many. So, Strange Tales 181. Excuse me. Strange Tales featuring Warlock 181. Um, this yes. is the infamous 1,000 Clowns issue. I'm excited. Yes. Yes, and we even have a big clown on the cover in his tuxedo and a giant red bow tie. Yeah. That's like a big floopy bow tie. Like, if you actually wore that, it would never stand up like that. It would look like, um, well, it would just droop. It would hang there like ribbons. It wouldn't even would tell it was a bow tie. Oh, it would have to be like a novelty, like, plastic type thing. Like, not made of the same material as a real tie. Or like three entire spray cans of starch. Yes. I'm not sure which one would be worse for the environment. <laughs> a purple yeah, guy who reminds me, I don't know, he's just a purple... Like, not Hulk? He kind of has a Hulk body mixed... It, it, okay, it's like... Somebody... It's like the Hulk made it with Percunus. Remember Percunus? Vaguely, like little, but porcupine, yeah. Because he does have... It's, I don't know if it's supposed to be hair or, like, spines. He actually looks more gray here on the cover. More like the gray Hulk. Mm-hmm. But... With a goofy face, kind of, or more simple, more symbolic, simplistic face. There's no real features. It's just eyes and a big mouth. So kind of they're venomous. menacing warlock who is laying on the ground, holding his head in agony. It because cuts it's like a knife. Because <laughs> as the clown tells him, "I warned you, warlock. There's no escape from the madness monster." Dun dun dun. And um, I guess this would be a good time for a uh, recap. Yes. So let's do a synopsis here. And that way people know what the hell's going on with all these clowns. And by the way, just to be fair to everybody, in the interest of honesty, there's not really a thousand clowns. I think Starlin was exaggerating slightly. There's what, four I feel like there are several lines and jabs in this comic that probably sprang out of actual conversations. Like somebody talk like as we're going to get into it, this this comic is full of derogatory commentary towards Marvel and the comics industry, and I feel like some of the specific phrasings and wordings would have been like him bitching with his friends, and, and so I would be surprised if someone said Marvel's just like a thousand clowns trying to put you know, and it's and he just like puts that in the title. It's a thousand clowns. Oh, like the old phrase, you know, like the phrase you get a thousand monkeys together typing. They'll eventually type out the works of Shakespeare. Oh yeah, that might be exactly what they were referencing. Oh, I, in, in my head, canon, that's what it is. 
Oh, so Works a thousand me. monkeys, it's a thousand clowns. Sounds good to me. All right, so anyway, before we get too much into this thing with monkeys and clowns, and sadly, there are no monkeys in here, though. Oh. I know. Not even an adorable live monkeys to buy. Just a bunch of stupid apes wandering around on the face of this planet. Sorry, Doctor Who. Oh, those stupid apes. I thought you were going fantastic ass. No, I was thinking of um, uh, <laughs> stupid, stupid apes. Yeah, Red yeah. Ghost and his stupid apes. Yeah, no, the uh, the humans. <laughs> the humanish looking people in this. Yeah. Okay, so enough of that. Let's let's go to the synopsis, and then we'll go back to the not. But yeah, let's go to the synopsis, and then we'll come back to this nonsense. Strange Tales number one eighty one, one thousand clowns, written, penciled, and colored by Jim Starlin, inked by Al Milgram, letter by Tom Orszewski, edited by Len Wein, cover art by Jim Starlin and Alan Lee Weiss, cover dated August nineteen seventy five. And the on-sale date was May 27th, 1975, with a cover price of 25 cents. The cover features a clown in a tuxedo and what looks like a purple hulk with a nondescript face, just eyes and a mouth, standing over Adam Warlock, who is laying down and clutching his head like he is in agony. The clown's telling him, I warned you, Warlock, there is no escape from the madness monster. The purple guy's the madness monster. We'll get to him. This issue starts with Adam in a bizarre dimension that looks like it was designed by Steve Ditko for an issue of Doctor Strange. The story is also dedicated to Steve Ditko, so that makes sense. Adam is not sure where he is, so he takes a page to recap the events of the past few issues to see if that helps. It doesn't help, and then Adam is confronted by several clowns. Yes, clowns, who welcome him to the land of the way it is. The head clown, Lens Teen, is his tour guide. He explains to Adam that he had been sick, but their doctors have made him well, and now Adam can see things as they really are. Lens first introduces Adam to Jan Hatrumi. Jan is responsible for making sure everyone appears socially acceptable. He paints a clown face onto Adam so that he will look like everyone else. Adam, of course, wipes it off because he won't lie about what he is. Back on Homeworld, Pip and his new green-skinned lady friend take a Black Knight captive to get info on where Adam is. Pip has a gun on him, but the Black Knight is terrified of the sight of the Green Woman. He tells her what she wants to know, that Adam is being held in the pit, where they recondition people, and she lets him run away. She then introduces herself to Pip. She is Gamora, the deadliest woman in the galaxy. Back in Dicko-land, Lens shows Adam a clown on a cross, and two other clowns throwing pies at him. The one on the cross is a renegade clown who tried to buck the system. He was starting to think that people were more important than things. Adam simply takes the pies and smashes them into the faces of the clowns who were throwing them. We can then see the control room for the pit, and the real, though still alien, face of Lens and his assistants. They are trying to reprogram Adam as part of the Matriarch's orders. We can see Adam is really wearing a VR helmet, and everything he sees is what they are programming into his head. They are trying to convert him to believe in the Universal Church of Truth. However, Adam's will is so strong, he is subverting the programming and not seeing the Church members as heroes, but clowns. While the Matriarch is amused by this, she still wants results. Or else. She wants Adam to be not just loyal to the church, but to her specifically. In the VR world, Lens tries another tactic with Adam. He shows him the great works that the church does, but all Adam sees are clowns hauling garbage to make huge towers, and when the towers topple, they start over. And over. And over. Because that's what they do. Inspecting the garbage, Adam finds a few diamonds. Lens tells him that they keep occasionally showing up in the garbage. 
They aren't sure why, but that's probably why the towers keep on falling. This is when Adam begins to lose it and starts laughing. Diamond's accidentally getting the way of the garbage. He demands to be told a way out, but the only way out is through the doorway of madness. Lens brings him to the doorway, and when Adam enters, he is attacked by the madness monster, the purple guy from the cover. Adam tries to use his soul gem on it, to no effect. He comes to find out it does not work because the madness monster does not have a soul. He is just part of a soul. Adam's soul, in fact. He is the dark part of Adam. Adam realizes it is just another point of view, and a part of himself, and accepts it. In accepting the madness monster, he is able to free himself from the VR world, just as Pip and Gamora, who have been fighting their way through the palace, were about to free him. Adam now can understand the Magus a bit, because in accepting the madness monster, he went a bit insane. He hopes this will enable him to have an edge on the Magus, but the voice of the Magus tells him it might instead be what the Magus wanted all along. At this point, Adam realizes the Magus is not the big floating head he had been dealing with so far. That was just for show, but now it's time for the true Magus to reveal himself. And he does. He also reveals that things have progressed enough that Warlock has lost. There is nothing he can do now to stop himself from becoming the Magus. Don't call them babes. Definitely don't call them broads. But can we call them birds? Welcome to Feathers and Foes, a Birds of Prey podcast where we are celebrating the tales of the Femme Fatales. Superman flies above you. Aquaman rules below you. But the birds stand with you. Feathers and Foes. I'm your host, Ashford. And in the studio with me is... Hello. Black Canary? Wait a minute, what did you do with Leah and Mark? Did you just call me a broad? No, I said don't call them babes, don't call them broads. So you're saying I'm not a babe? No, yes, I don't know. I I don't see you as some object. I see you as a well-rounded character with her own wants, desires, and agency. Stop saying buzzwords, hoping to gain a female audience. Canary, how dare you question my sincerity? That's Black Canary to you. Do you want me to plug your show or not? Please plug my show, Miss Canary. You can contact Ashford, Leah, or Mark on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at Feathers and Foes. You can also email them on the website feathersandfoes.libsyn.com. In addition to all of this, you may subscribe to them on iTunes. Just go to the search option and type Feathers and Foes. And we're back. I'm ready for more nonsense. Oh, yeah. It's always time for nonsense. Okay, so let's do a little bit of brief history before we get too far into the book. Okay. So Stanley was a few years earlier. Stanley's the publisher. Roy Thomas was the editor in chief of Marvel, and John Romita was his art director. Mm-hmm. And in '74, so right before this, Roy stepped down, and Len was the editor in chief for the superhero books. Marv Wolfman was the editor in chief for the black and white magazines. So that kind of goes through for what I've been reading and um, researching in some Marvel history is that when it was saying editor before. It was just the editor in chief. There was no real editor, like you know. Right. I mean, I guess, the, yeah, the like family now. editors of, of the different branches of books, like there often are now. Yeah, which is why before I would say Roy Thomas is the editor of all of them. Wasn't that he was editing all of them? He was just there. Really, was only one editor. Most of the writers were their own editors, more or less. They were just weren't credited as such. At well, least the not until the later seventies. The editor in chief would have to go through everything. Like Jim Shooter is like nothing ever gets published without it going past my desk. Yeah. But at this time, it was more like everyone was their own writer-editor. They just didn't officially get labeled as such until later on when people like Jack Kirby or Marv Wolfman or Roy Thomas would get to be their own Mm writer-editors. 
or I guess in Jack Kirby's case, everything editor. <laughs> so Len Wein is labeled as the editor here, but he actually he had just in. left. Yeah, I think between the writing of this comic and the like, the the being told to put Len Wein as editor in the lettering and the publication of this comic, somewhere in that space is where Len Wein st- walks away. Yeah, and Marv Wolfman became the editor in chief, and then in '76 it was Jerry Conway, and he was editor for like five minutes, right? From what I remember reading, yeah, yeah. From what I remember seeing, basically Marvel had like a ro- it was like a oh god, what is that game where you play where you run around the chairs at the music, musical, musical chairs. chairs? Yeah, it was musical chairs of editing, being editor in chief until Shooter took over and made everything work. I mean, I'm sure there's enough stuff about Shooter that I'm sure a lot of it is true, but he did make Marvel work. <laughs> he got everything, you know, going correctly. I, I mean, I don't want to go so far as doing the Mussolini reference of he made the trains run on, at least the trains ran on time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he got stuff put out there. Yeah. No, no. Marvel thrived under Jim Shooter's run and i'm sure people have their reasons for disliking him but marvel did really well um 1976 was the year of three editors 1978 has sometimes been called the year of three popes because paul six dies john paul one starts his papacy it lasts for 33 days and john paul one dies and john paul two comes along and he's pope for like the next 20 years um 1976 is the same with marvel editors um wolfman steps down conway takes over conway steps down and shooter takes over Okay. Yeah, and then Shooter was editor till at least the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, there has to be enough stuff about Shooter that's true, because otherwise, why would he be ousted from, like, three companies? Well, yeah. You know, he was knocked out of here. He went to, you know, did eventually start Valiant. It was kicked out of Valiant. He went to Defiant, and I think he was kicked out of Defiant and then went to Broadway, and Broadway just didn't work. Did he get kicked out of Valiant, or I thought he quit out of Valiant? I'm pretty sure, well... Okay, I'm actually not 100% certain about Defiant, but I know Valiant, I'm pretty damn certain he was kind of ousted. Okay. It was a coup. And I'm looking at the list of editors. Jim Shooter was the first editor-in-chief. So he probably, and it sounds like a Jim Shooter move. He probably is one who started smaller editors below him to handle the different books to help everything run more smoothly and efficiently. Um, Delegating. Yeah. Um, Archie Goodwin. I forgot him earlier. Archie Goodwin took over in 76. Jim Shooter took over in 78. So up until him, all of the other editors were just the editor. Yeah. So that's we're going to stop with that part for now, and then we'll go, we're going to go into the issue because that's not going to come up for a little bit until we get to the clown part. And then once we get to the clowns, we're going to delve into the whole clown thing. Right. But I figured let's do a little background first. Sounds good. Sounds good. So we're here with Warlock in the Land of Ditko. Yes, in fact, this issue is dedicated to Steve Ditko, who gave us all a different reality. Now, um, I want to talk about that very briefly, if I can, because it kind of ties into what we were saying. Well, yeah, it's kind of right there on the page. We should be. Um, So Steve Ditko, of course, had a relationship with Strange Tales, doing Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange was sort of his baby. Yes. I'm pretty sure my understanding is that Stan Lee didn't expect Doctor Strange to sell. He didn't expect readers to react very well, which is why you have two installments of Doctor Strange in the Strange Tales comic, and then he stops for two or three months. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there's like a gap in those first few first few appearances. Right. So then they it's bring him right back away. 
And um, I think that was just because Stan didn't expect it to take. But people were responding, hey, this is cool. Certainly a lot better than that human torch tripe. And um, Well, pretty much anything would have been. You know, Steve Ditko does Doctor Strange. He does Doctor Strange all the way up until he leaves Marvel. Whenever he finishes Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man and Doctor Strange were the last two comics he was doing. And then he leaves. Around this time, the 1975-ish era... You've had a lot of talk about creators' rights and creators' involvement in their comics and what exactly is the creator's relationship between him, his works, and the company he works for. And a lot of that conversation has been centered around Steve Ditko and his relationship to Spider-Man. And so not only do you have a really trippy comic in this issue reminiscent of some of the Stranger Ditko Doctor Strange issues – but also you have a conversation about comics and their creators and that relationship with the company and all of that going on in this comic. And so I think this is a, for both of those reasons why this comic is dedicated to Steve Ditko. I didn't think about that second part, but yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because Steve was definitely very much into that. Now, real quick aside on that, this has to do with Steve Ditko, but not so much the stuff about the book. This is more about Doctor Strange. I find I just thought about this. I find it weird. He was the cr- <clears throat> creative force behind Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. I mean, going with what I know about Steve Vicko, which obviously for everybody is not that much, <laughs> but what we know about his politics, like not just his politics, but his philosophy and other works. Like I've read some of his later stuff. You know, I actually bought when I was buying stuff on a regular basis. I was, uh, but I didn't have a store by me before digital buying was really very accessible and easy. I was using a DCBS, if you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they do offer on there like a bunch of Ditko stuff that he's been doing up until recently. And I bought one or two of them. I'm like, it's Steve Ditko. I'll at least buy one or two of his books and, you know, give him, throw him a few bucks. You know, the man freaking created Spider-Man. He's earned a few bucks, a few of my dollars now. Right. So I bought some of his more recent stuff. So I can see where his philosophy was taking him of his work. Dr. Strange seems to be nowhere in there like it, it seems like dr strange was completely out of the blue like where the hell did this come from for this guy yeah i mean kirby at least made sense when kirby was creating stuff kirby went with anything he thought of that was interesting to him basically he went everywhere kirby was the kid with add who wanted to do everything and dicka was the one who's like i like these things and i'm gonna stay with these things because i like them and then all of a sudden he's like, but I'm going to run over here. Yeah, and it's hard to say. I mean, you think before Spider-Man, Steve Ditko, and even during some of the early Spider-Man, they were still, when they were still pushing these out, Steve Ditko was writing random-ass monster and supernatural stories all the time. I say writing, plotting, because he was the artist. That's how Marvel did it, and Stanley just put the words in. Yeah. Um, so he was coming up with all of these crazy supernatural monster stories, and a lot of that early Doctor Strange is pretty much that same genre with the consistently same protagonist. Oh, so maybe he just was born out of doing that and him thinking of better ways of doing it. Right. Although, speaking of, yeah, speaking of Dick, let me get back to the actual book. I did read, because it's on Marvel Unlimited, the, uh, I think the whole series of Amazing Fantasy. Oh, yeah. And it does feel like 60s Vertigo. Oh, yeah, because Amazing Adventures, Amazing Adult Fantasy, Amazing Fantasy, that was the Ditko book, wasn't it? That was... Yeah, for the most part. Almost entirely Ditko. Like, he did some installments for other things, but that series was pretty much him. 
Yeah, and to me, I'm reading, I'm going, wow, if Vertigo, I'm talking about the DC imprint that was more mature readers and avant-garde and twisted, you know, the one that gave us Preacher and Transmetropolitan and The Sandman. And we only have to say was because of the last, like, five years or so, it's gone away. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if it's coming back or not, but either way, let's go with was. That feels like a 60s version of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, so back to our clowns. Right. Uh, by the way, I love in the splash page, I mean, this is obviously the Ditko, Doctor Strange alternate universe type randomness. I do love that little pillar of faces in the back. Yeah. It's neat. It, it reminds me of, uh, what are their names? Chaos and Order and Marvel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Master sure Chaos and Order. Remin- and those, those things are reminiscent of the, uh, the old uh, theater masks. Tragedy and uh, comedy masks. Comedy. So you have um, just a bunch of inanimate floating objects in the in the in the space and like platforms out of nowhere that you can stand on or not. He's not really standing on anything in the splash page. Both of his fingers sort of in the air. Yeah, one's in the air. One's almost standing in bubbles. And even comments on it in the next page. Well, Adam, it appears that none of the free floating inanimate objects in this strange world are going to answer you. This is what they do. The recap page. The recap page. Because it was rare back then. Between the fact that this was a still bi-monthly and also with the new span distribution. Who knew? Who knows if the person bought one, Strange Tales 180? Mm-hmm. And Marvel's pumping out so many books at this point. Even if you did read it, who knows if you remembered? I don't think we need to go over the recap because we know what happened. Well, I was looking at one note that I made and I forgot to mark exactly where this was. It says that stealing the judge's ex- uh, spirit was expected to knock him out. Um... Oh, yeah, because I looked at the previous page of the previous comic. Whenever mm-hmm. she has him go and deal with the judge, she expects him to pass out whenever he absorbs the judge's spirit. Which I was thinking as I was going into this issue, since we're picking up from there, that does the matriarch have more understanding of the soul gem than we than we think she does? Maybe. I mean, I know I have to assume the Magus doesn't want her to have too much because he doesn't want her to be able to try and take him on directly. But... I have to assume as he's sending her after at a more, to deal with Warlock and prepare him for becoming the Magus, he has to at least give her um, more knowledge than Warlock has. Now, saying in order to be effective, she'd have to know more of what's going on than he does. Exactly. So, you know, if Warlock's at a first grade level and the Magus is at a sixth grade level, she needs to be at a third grade. Right. You know, nowhere near ben, no, able to take, care, take out the Magus, but still more than enough to take on Warlock. Right. Okay, so yeah, um, we get our recap, then we end up with lots of clowns, and the, and the first one's name is actually misspelled the first time. It's, he calls himself Lenteen, but the rest of the comic he's called Lens-teen. Yes. Yeah, and then we have a whole bunch of clowns jumping out of random warps in, in this uh, random space. Mm-hmm. Just all of a sudden just popping in, some sad face, some happy face, some doing summer assaults. It's kind of fun, actually. And this is another one of the designs I feel like was ripped from a conversation. He's like, you've always been in this actuality, Adam, old boy. Welcome to the land of the way it is. And I just, that sounds like the sort of thing, like someone just telling Starlin, and Starlin's complaining about not being able to have some sort of freedom. And so it's like, this is the way it is. Welcome to the land of the way it is. You want to work for us or don't you? I can see that. I can also just see it as a general worldview. Let's face it, for Starlin was a young man at this point. You know, had a lot of ideas, was a lot of frustrated the way things were in the world. And for a lot of times, a lot of older generations, you know, for good or ill, 
will sometimes tell you, look, this is just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You have to accept it. And, you know, to be fair, sometimes that's true, and sometimes it isn't. There's some things you can, you can say, well, but it doesn't have to be, but there's also some things like, look, if you jump off the building, you will break your bones. It's just <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> I don't care how much you believe, you are not from Krypton. Have you seen um, Babe, the old James Cromwell movie with the talking pig? Parts of it years ago. So, I have an idea, but I don't know everything. Part of, part of the plot of that is that Babe, this naive, adorable young pig, is having to get used to life on a farm. And one of the things he doesn't understand is butchery. That, like, he, the reason he exists on that farm is to one day be dinner. Yeah. And uh, whenever he first gets his inkling of this, they describe it to him as this is the way things are. This is just part of life. But each chapter in that movie is op- opens up with a title card and these little mice saying the title of the chapter. And so whenever I get to this, I see the well and the way it is. I hear the... Uh, I hear the little mice saying, the way things are. And the little mice chatter. It, it, it's cute and adorable. And I'm sure there are at least seven people out there who know exactly what I'm talking about. Actually, I do know a part of that. I do know that part. Okay. That does sound familiar. I do remember that. So anyways, yes, it's adorable. So Lens Teen. Yes, Lens Teen. As we saw last issue with all the uh, fake credits, Starlin has apparently gotten into anagrams. He does like his anagrams. It's fun reading these old books. You could almost like wonder when people got almost like kind of figure out when people started getting into stuff or back into something. It's like, oh, Starlin's reading about anagrams now. And it just occurs to me that like last issue he did anagrams. Also last issue was the title card for next issue, Land of a Thousand Clowns, which means that he had planned. This wasn't like some spur of the moment roast issue. At least two months earlier, he was planning to do this right here. And I'm kind of amused at the notion of Jim Starlin just like sitting on that idea for a couple of months and then finally getting this out the door. And there is some debate. I thought it was kind of an accepted story, but there's actually some debate on just how much Marvel realized what was in this story before it went out the door. Yes, because I know there's a thing – I think I mentioned in one of the other episodes. I know that Kim and Gerber would a lot of times wait till the last moment – so that way they wouldn't have time to object to make changes. You'll be told to make changes. It's kind of like, look, you want the book out on time? Or I have a book done. You want it out on time. I'm ready to go. Right. If it's held up, that ain't me. You're saying don't put it out. But on the other hand, it's like, but they still did let it go. So unless they didn't read it at all, they had to at least accept it happening. So it's kind of like irony. It's like, because this whole thing is about how Marvel doesn't want any creativity or any original thought. But they put out the book about that, so... Is it true? Right. And or was it allowed in the sense of sure we can we can accept some self roasting here? Because Marvel's always kind of roasting themselves a bit, usually not as seriously. Actually, sometimes very seriously. That was one of the things about Marvel the Untold Story, whenever I listened to that book, is that a lot of the good natured jabbing and the credits that happens in the sixties turns out was not so good natured. That like a lot of times whenever Stanley would say, yeah, this plot makes no sense to us. We hope you enjoy it. He was actually being serious. Oh, he was mocking the... Mocking the artists. Artists. Like Steve did. Steve did go as a particular example that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. No. I appreciate it. One thing I want to say about this whole thing, and this is from a thing I looked up about on a column on comic book resources about meta messages. And I'm going to put a link for this whole thing in the show notes. So if everyone wants to read the whole thing, they can. It says, now this is, they talk about this whole thing. 
It says, that's some harsh, harsh satire right there. Amusingly enough, Starlin's biggest conflicts with editorial would not happen until after Marv Wolfman was replaced by Jerry Conway. Mm-hmm. Starlin stayed on Warlock until both Ween and then Wolfman, I'm sorry, under both Ween and Wolfman, but then left the book after Conway was in. And then Archie Govan was in charge after that. Uh, he tried to get Starlin back, but it was too late, although he did get him back to do those two annuals that finished yeah. off. So that's why Warlock... And I either I didn't realize or I didn't remember that's why Warlock ends with 15, even though it would have been continuing on, Jim Starlin left. Right. And then we have the Marvel 2 uh, team-up issue of Spider-Man, which is... I believe Bill Mantello and somebody else. So it has nothing to do with Jim Starlin. <laughs> right. Even though it vaguely sort of follows up on the narrative, um, it's it's really nothing connected. Plot. No important continuity is established there. No, they just kind of establish where he was and they bring him back to Earth more or less. Right. And then Starlin comes back for the finale in the Avengers and Marvel 2 and 1 annuals. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's interesting though, is that while he had these big problems, but actually his worst problems when it comes to later... <laughs> Yeah, I think you and I read the same article because I was reading about that same thing. That um, he's lambasting these people, but hey, he was able to work with them, but, and they let him. But Conway would have no shenanigans, and you know, I, I can respect that from the perspective of having to get the trains to run on time and having to get comics out the door. You can't just put a comic together and send it to your inkers and colorists three weeks late. You just can't do that all the time. Yeah. Not if you want – I mean, you can, but not if you want to stay in business. Right. You know, And maybe you can have one or two things like that happening, but you can't have like – if you have 30 books, you can't have 25 of them doing that. And what was it? Only like five, seven years ago that it seemed to be that DC was always putting late books out? Like it's, they seem to have chronic issues around like the, the first couple years of New 52 and the last couple years before New 52 of just constantly, constantly delaying books. Um, well, everything goes through cycles. I mean, think about it. Look who all these Bronze Age books from Marvel, well, DC too, but mostly Marvel, where you would have all these issues that would all of a sudden just have fill-ins. Where you would have, like, the framing story, and then the reprint of something, you know, either a reprint or some kind of inventory, you know, and then they start doing the inventory stories. Right. Because they would have that. And then eventually that gave way kind of to the whole premise of, no, we're not going to, can't stop, we're just going to delay the book, and therefore you're just going to have the book by the creator, or creators, whoever they are. So you don't have to worry about your run being interrupted or have you know, the flow of the story. It's just going to go right through from the one story, however long it takes. And then it kind of went back a bit towards the, like you said, when DC was doing that, I was like, no, 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 we're going to get the books out on time no matter what. We're going to put other people in there or whatever. So it kind of, it goes back and forth. It's like, I guess, you know, it's a grass is always greener. You know, you get tired of the one, you know, they got tired of that and they wanted the creators, you know, just to do their stories. And after a while, people are like, I'm tired of waiting for my books. Just bring the damn thing out. Mm-hmm. And then eventually be like, I'm tired of my books, being, my creator runs being being interrupted. Just let the books wait. <laughs> Nowadays they have the whole, okay, we got the pencils for this late. Let's have 25,000 inkers. Finish it up real quick. And um, actually I've seen, a, I've seen quite a few books where, I don't know if the scripts came in late, but they'll chop up the art chores of the book. So you have like four different pencilers on a 32-page comic. They got to get the story out, so they got to get it drawn. So they just have all these different art teams come together to make the book. Yeah, which usually doesn't work all very well because sometimes because a lot of times it'll look so inconsistent. Right. The best way to do that is if you have a, some kind of team book or something where you can split up. Like, okay, you do the pages featuring Batman, and you do the pages featuring Spider Man, and you do the pages featuring 
I don't know who's from another company. Hellboy. Right. Let's make it fair. I'm thinking of, was it, there's one all-star comic, all-star uh, squadron annual, I think it's number three. And because of the way that story was worked, it usually was like the old format of the JSA, you know, we're going to split up in the teams or by our own, so each chapter drawn by somebody else. Just like in the old Golden Age. Yeah. And now at least it kind of makes sense when you're looking at wildly different styles if it's going for different characters. You know, if you're going from Batman to Dr. Fate, you can at least go, well, that makes more sense. The Batman thing's more moody and noir, and the Dr. Fate thing's more, you know, bizarre and strange. Mm-hmm. Speaking of strange. Yes, speaking of strange or tale, strange tales even. Yeah, I don't think we actually said that uh, flat out that Lenstein... The clown is Stan Lee, and on the next page we see that the clown is actually an avatar being manipulated by an alien who looks like Stan Lee as an Andorian. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's basically Stan Lee looking like himself, but with blue skin, white blue skin, and a little antenna. They're very cute, by the way. Mm-hmm. He's adorable. Um, but wait, I didn't realize when I was a kid reading, you know, when I first read this, that I was supposed to be Stan Lee, mainly because Stan Lee was so much older at the point from the pictures I've seen, yeah. that I did not think of that as being Stan Lee, because this guy is young looking. I've had that same that same thought process where, oh my gosh, that's young Stan Lee? He looks nothing like that anymore. And, and part actually, of it is that nowadays his sunglasses, those really large lens sunglasses, they're surgically attached to his face. <laughs> and so it's hard to imagine what it looks like. With, it's very much a Clark Kent Superman, Super Stan <laughs> kind of situation going on true he takes those off no one has a clue who he is right but it, and, and it's actually i just realized something was starlin was being a bit nice there because that guy looks like he's 30s i mean you can maybe say he's 40 stan lee this isn't the 70s stanley's got to be what 50s 60s yeah but that really I mean, is what he looked like i mean he he's not really zoomed in enough to really emphasize the age but that's what he looked like okay i was just wondering that i'm like how like because he looks kind of young. I mean, the next page when you see the other guys, the other guys look older than him, and they're younger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, was he being nice to Stan anyway? B- basically, Starlin, like I said, he viewed Stan Lee, John Romita, Len Wein, and Marv Wolfman as kind of company shills. Let's start with Marv Wolfman, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, we have – I'm sorry, not Marv Wolfman. Let's start with um, – there, there's one – clown that's getting tortured. We'll talk about him when we get there. Well, yeah, he's the one that he doesn't view that way at all. Right. But we didn't mention him yet. So, yeah, so the clowns are introducing... So, Lens Team introduces Adam to Jan Hatroom, which is a... Hatroomy, which is a... Anagram? Well, I was going to say a bad anagram, because I think I was trying it last night. I don't think all the letters of Romita are there. Mm, R-O-M-I-T-A. Oh, you know what? Maybe when I wrote it down when I was using my thing, I ha- missed out the I, I'm thinking. Yeah, there is an extra A. <laughs> that was it. There was a, And there was an A. I was like, oh, maybe it's an A instead of an I. But I missed the A when I wrote it down. That's why. Okay, so it's a mostly good anagram of John Romita. It just has an extra letter. Right. Um, yeah. He's here to see that everyone appears socially acceptable. So um, John Romita... Was the art director. Right. And so... If we're talking about creative freedom, we're talking about being able to do what we want with comics, we're talking about a book like Adam Warlock that is really pushing the form, and Starlin as an artist who really challenges the art the comic form, versus John Romita, who's there to make everyone socially acceptable, he's talking about the, like, John Romita's enforcement of the in-house art style is diluting comics and making them dull and boring. 
Yeah. And to be fair, no, I can see a bit of both sides in this. I mean, I agree with Starlin on like, I like that idea because we, I want better comics. And that's how you get better comics and not just the same comics. But it is a business. You know, it's not Jim Starlin putting up books on his own and somebody coming to him saying, no, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a corporation, a company that whose business is to make comics and therefore they make the money and that's how they also pay the employees, which includes right. Jim Starlin. So they have to make sure there's a consistent product. I mean, I would think the best way for a big company like Marvel or DC would be to have that. You know, you have to have that, but you maybe want to have a couple of the fringe titles, which is kind of like what Vertigo was, for instance, going back to that, where you can do that experimentation of bizarreness. And that way also you can almost like to see, like, how does that work? Is it accepted? Is it not? Should we start implementing some of these new things into the standard books we have here or do we not? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like give yourself, you know, that way you have the best of both worlds, because to be fair, you do want a product that is going to stay with you know, people are going to keep wanting to read. So you do need to have your stuff stay with the time somewhat and evolve because you want people to keep buying them. Yeah. Yeah, you do. So you kind of, you know, the best way would be to do both. But of course, sometimes you can get stuck on one point or another, especially if that's all you're dealing with. It kind of reminds me also of the conversation about, um, that fans often have about making comics that are good versus making comics that are different versus making comics that like are what I always knew. And just this, all, all this stuff, the kinds of things we're talking about are the kinds of things that creative, that commercial art always has to juggle. They have to juggle reliability versus experimentation versus audience response versus the vocal critical minority versus making in, in all of that in order to, because it's always in order to make money. Yeah. Cause that's, whenever, the point. that's why they're there. Whenever someone says they're just trying to do this to make cash. I'm like, everything they do is to make cash. Whether they experiment, bring in something new, take things back to number one, bring things back to old, but to original legacy numbering, it's all to make a buck. Yeah, it just all depends on the, on the on the individual of how much they're willing to experiment or how much they're willing to gamble to try something new or different as a, you know in the interesting interest of making cash. Mm-hmm. They're still trying to make a buck. I mean, everyone who's making these comics, they, that's what their job is. That's how they put a roof over their house. That's how they, you know, contribute to their family. That's how they, you know, make sure they don't starve. Mm-hmm. This is their job. Yeah, anyways, that's what my job's for. <laughs> I just, I'm just there to make cash. <laughs> that's why I go to work. <laughs> you I think mean, I'll get I, up I otherwise? En- I enjoy teaching, but not enough to do it if I didn't make money. Or at least not to the extent you do it of like five days a week for several hours a day. Five days a week with 30 kids in the classroom, 10 of which don't really want to be there. Hmm. Or ten of which really don't want to be there, another several of which would rather do other things. We'd all be rather doing other things than what we have to do, right? Exactly. So, so in the comic, the end result of John uh, of Jan Hatrumi's socially acceptable changes is that he makes a warlock into a clown, just like all the other clowns. Yeah, he has a big rubber nose and the uh, face paint on the lips. Right. Oh, um, now I was editing last night our talk about Strange Tales one eighty. And I was right at the part where we're talking about the eyes of the Black Knights and whether it was just shadow or tattooed. Do you remember that part? Yes. And I was thinking that when I see this, the one page here where Jan is looking, Jan is looking at Adam Warlock saying, ooh, I like those eyes. 
Ah. But everything else must go. If you notice, they all still have the clowns at least. Jan has the black around the eyes. Although the he aliens, does. the real aliens don't. So it's and, interesting. It, it, it's hard to tell what's what. And neither does this the Black Knight we're going to see in a page. And I wonder if there had been some actual conversations about Adam Warlock and his look and what they want him to do in his comic. Because he took Adam Warlock out of a superhero outfit and put him in a cloak with a skull brooch. And on the second panel here, Lens, it's true that many of the things that make me what I am may disturb others as well as myself. But I don't believe covering them with paint and rubber balls will dispel them. Yeah, that's true. He's making Adam Moore look more like a fantasy character. Yeah. <laughs> look he's... at his brooch. Even his brooch has the eyes and nose on it. That's great. I just Oh my that. god, I didn't realize that. Oh. Uh, in Lenz's uh, commentary there, we're not going to force you to do anything. We're not tyrants here. If you want to make things hard for yourself... Go right ahead. And I was like, that is such management speak. Yeah. Yeah, look, if you want to do the hard thing, that's fine. I, I can see the guy from Office Space with his coffee cup saying that. Yeah, if you want to make things hard for yourself, <laughs> yeah. that'd be great. <laughs> and then we see two of the other um, real aliens behind it. Or I guess that's supposed to be Stanley, and maybe that's John Romita with the pipe. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, Lee and Romita there. Okay, because he yep. looks so much older than he does in that first panel from the side. Less, less flattering view of Romita. And then we um, switch out of the monster of the of the what the madness world to the real world. Yeah, and we see Gamora, who I don't did she get a name last issue because she did not get the deadliest woman in the galaxy moniker that she's known for. I no, she did not get that. And now I'm going to open my file where I have my Strange Tales 180 and go to the last page and see real quick. No, no name at all. Okay, so we didn't know who she was. Although she says here that I go by many names, and I haven't yes. read enough to know if that is something they ever follow up on. Not that I recall. So she goes by many names, but now that we know she's Gamora, she's always Gamora. It's like whenever the mysterious person in the hood uncovers his face and you finally see him and he never wears the hood again. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe maybe it's not so much she has many names, if we're not more talking about nicknames or like other ways of talking about her. Like her name is Gamora, but you know, she's known as like the da- the daughter of Thanos or, you know, Death's Herald or whatever they call say when she shows up. Right. Spoilers, Gamora's the daughter of Thanos. Oh, yeah, crap, I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, everyone knows that. I think everyone knows that, especially since it's been in the movies. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) 35-year-old spoiler. No, 40-something-year-old spoiler. But it is worth pointing out that that is not known at this point. She is looking for Adam Warlock. She said last Tuesday she's looking for Adam Warlock to see if he is able to help her take down the Magus. And if he's not, she's going to kill him. Which... I haven't read these enough recently to to know exactly how that plays out, but I think that's I suspect at this point that that is because she knows that Warlock and Magus are one and the same. That and would make so, sense. So if he can't take that Magus out, then she has to kill him. Right. That's that's the way I, I interpret. Now that's a guess at this point. Um, so we'll I see think, how it plays in the next yeah. issues. Yeah. So anyway, so her and Pip are 
Shanghai or Shanghaiing this one lone black knight to try and find where Warlock is. And Pip has his gun. I love this little comedy bit. Pip has his laser gun pointed at the guy. The guy, of course, is just staring at Gamora, like ready to crap his pants. Mm-hmm. And Pip there, apparently, Pip, I guess, I don't know, maybe he found some garbage and put it together to look like a gun because it falls apart in his hands. He's trying, <laughs> to, he's trying to pick it up and fix it. <laughs> gun. It's like he found an old hair dryer where the two plastic so- the plastic covering was off, so he kind of like is holding it, covering it, you know, with stuff inside, hoping in the dark it'll look like a gun, but then it falls like the one half falls off and everything falls out of the inside. He's like, hold on, hold on, let me fix this. You just, you just stay there terrified. Meanwhile, this guy's just staring at Gamora, going, um, um, yeah, I, I will tell you everything you want. Just don't let her get near me, please, please. I'm sorry. <laughs> And then he runs away in terror. I love Gamora. You've been very helpful. Thank you. You may go now. Hey, that guy almost dropped a brick when he saw you, lady. You've been holding out on me, babes. There's more to you than meets the eye. Fact is, I don't even know your name. And that's when you get her name. Yes. And she calls him a tick-ridden troll. He is a tick-ridden troll. I'm sure he has ticks. I also love whenever Wolverine's furriness is made fun of. That, like, he is actually a fur-infested creature and probably has fleas. Yeah, now, well, Wolverine has... I'm sure Wolverine does get fleas and ticks, but only periodically. Because once he comes back from being in the... being Running in the Savage Land or Wild of Canada for, like, three weeks, you know, they make him take a bath when he gets home. And he is a samurai, so I'm sure he values cleanliness. Yeah, but Pip... Yeah, Pip has ticks and fleas constantly. Right. That's just the way things are. Yeah. The only time he doesn't is if he, the only time he doesn't is when he's like staying in someone's mansion when they don't know about it. And he, so he's taking advantage of all the luxuries, not so much (laughs) because he wants to be clean, but because because it's it's decadent and he gets to sit there in their bath and do these things for himself because he's leave, you know, disgusting rings on the tub because that's what he does. (laughs) And I do like the fact that he even says it in here. That guy almost dropped a brick. Right. I mean, is that the earliest? I don't know. After I thought, ask around, this might be the earliest instance in a mainstream comic of talking about somebody shooting their pants. Could be. Could be. <laughs> Dropping a deuce. See, I'm always confused because deuces is both a goodbye and a poop. Yeah. So, like, when someone says deuces, is that like, hey, I've got to go take a dump. I'll see you later. Well, I'm not sure where that, that second version came of, of the uh, goodbye, because that's more recent. Calling Deuce based on, you know, the fact that it was called number two has been around for a long time. That was around when I was a kid, at least. Yeah. But Deuces is more recent. Being like, Deuces, I'm out. In my headcanon, though, they're like, I've got to go take a dump. I'll see ya. <laughs> yeah. And my headcanon is kind of also like, uh, started with people who were running late. Like, oh, crap, I gotta run. Oh, yeah, that works too. Yeah. Maybe that is it. Oh, crap, I've got the runs. It all comes back. Mm, it all comes back on you. <laughs> so which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? <laughs> what about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
Captain Marvel in The Big Bang. Calling Captain Marvel. This is Spaceship 49. We have intercepted a message from Nitro Headquarters. What's that creep up to now? The message reveals a plot for a big blow-up. The biggest yet. Must be an attack on Fort Knox. Nope, that's not it. Either way, I'll have to set a trap. Meanwhile... Ha! I'll blow myself a hole in the middle of the ocean so big it'll flood the world. Nitro, look! Captain Marvel's escorting that ship! Must be carrying valuable cargo. Let's follow him first. Look! The side of the mountain is opening up! And Marvel's turning back! This ship was probably on remote control! Let's capture that ship and get the treasure. Ha! They're taking the bait. Later, inside the mountain... Hmm... We've got enough Hostess Twinkies to last a month. Wow! Golden sponge cake with creamy filling inside! That will keep Nitro busy for a while. I knew we'd get a big bang out of the Hostess Twinkies. Now, to blast his headquarters. Mmm. Chomp, chomp. You, you get, get a, a big, big delight, delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies. Twinkies. <laughs> I love these things. Okay, my question is... Uh-huh. Was it purposely written so ambiguously pornographic? Which part? Oh, I don't know. How about... A blow myself a hole? Or... Look, the side of the mountain is open up. I, okay, that one I can see, but not the side of the mountain. That That's not that pornographic. Um, get the treasure. Get the and treasure then, of is course, not pornographic. anything with Hostess Twinkies in general, golden sponge cake <laughs> filled with a creamy filling. I'm sorry. I don't think it was intentionally pornographic. I mean, back then, they would have, remember, this is in the 70s. Even in the 80s, remember, they had the name, remember Growing Pains? He had his best friend Boner because he pulled a boner. We had a screw up. Before, you know, was referred, you know, Boner was commonly referred to as what we call Boner now. So I, I don't think it was as intentionally pornographic. I think it's become laughingly pornographic, slightly pornographic, but it wasn't intentionally done that way. You're usually very pragmatic. Generally, don't have faith in people. And you're displaying way too much faith in society. <laughs> I don't think it is. I, I'm sorry. Men were writing this, right? And I don't know. We're pretty sure men were writing this. Let, let's go with statistically men were likely writing this. And most of them were contributors to growing pains as well. Men, meaning. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, maybe, but Come I don't on. know. As far as I know, I don't think they intended it that way. Now, maybe the... I remember the tagline, but the tagline is pornographic. There's a big delight in every bite. Come on. <laughs> Come on, that is what every guy wishes he could say to a girl on a date. I don't want a girl to... I don't want anyone taking a bite. I said that, said, not have done. I said said. I'm not going to say to a girl have a take a bite. It's, I'm, look at me right now. I'm crossing my legs and covering up my hands. It's scary. You're scaring it. <laughs> You're taking it too literally. <laughs> I love these horrible hostess ads. They are truly horrendous. But they're but they're funny. Just... Wouldn't it be great to live in a world though where every crime could be solved by throwing hostess fruit pies at it? I mean, wouldn't it be so much greater if that, that was the worst that would happen? Oh no, they're committing a crime. Here, throw them some hostess Twinkies. All right, they stopped. Well, it would explain a lot. It would explain why Twinkies are made of whatever concoction they're made of, and in theory possibly survive a nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. 
Well, this this way too. Now, cops wouldn't need to carry guns in their holsters. They would just carry, you know, hobos. I was thinking of the scene in Die Hard when he's picking up all the uh, all the Twinkies and food. Um, he's not getting snacks. He's arming up. You know what? I can honestly say I was never a big fan of Twinkies. They were always kind of gross to me. Which ones did you like? Devil dogs. Okay. Devil dogs are good. Yeah, is that twi- Hostess, though? Is yeah. That- okay. Pretty sure. I thought it was Drake's. Oh, maybe they are. Devil dogs might be Drake's. I was never a big Twinkie fan, either. What else is Hostess? Cupcakes. Ho-Hos. Didn't like cupcakes. Wasn't a big fan of the Ho-Hos, either. I think Choco Dolls were Hostess. No. Didn't like those. The pies. I like Dring Dings, Devil Think. Dogs, and Funny Bones. Pretty sure Funny Bones were hostess. Okay. Then there we go. And you know what I like. Well, Snowballs. Mm-hmm. Those are my favorite. Those are the ones I like. Mm-hmm. And I did like the Lemon Fruit Pies. You're actually going to see this name a lot next year. Movie coming out. Captain Marvel? Yep. I didn't realize that was an actual character. Yep. More than one, actually. The one they're going to have is the one after him. It's, well, he's going to be in this, too. But they're going to feature the one that came after him, uh, the one, a female one. Because he dies. Okay. Ironically, because he uh, gets cancer. Because, well, not ironically. Ironically, because he causes the cancer. Ah. Skeletor there. He steals a nerve gas that he has to uh, basically seal up, and it, that years later it's revealed that's what gives him the cancer. And he's still dead. He died in 1982. And they have not brought him back because of how he died. They actually let him, he actually died from cancer. He didn't die fighting or explosions or anything. So? It, the, writer, the writer artist was working through his father's death recently from cancer, so he did it that way. Okay. And they've never brought him back because. What happened to Skeletor? He's still around, unfortunately. Yeah, it looks like Night of the Living Dead and Skeletor had a baby. Yeah, he's a pain in the ass. Captain Marvel looks like a beach boy. He's an alien. He looks like a beach boy, which actually actually does make a lot of sense, because I'm not really sure if the beach boys were ever from this planet either. See, there you go. God, did I hate their music. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. That was enough. I'm good. All right, that was good. Thank you. Okay. The cool thing when doing a podcast is seeing that other people are apparently enjoying your show enough that they are sharing that they are listening to the show on social media. And that's pretty awesome. So I'd like to thank the people who helped out by sharing the last episode, episode 78, The Trial of the Watcher, on social media. On Twitter, the people who liked and retweeted the posts about that episode were Long Box of Darkness, Rolled Spine Podcasts, Lime Link, Sasha Semek. Paul Schoens, Jason Snick Venable, Christian and Damon's Amazing Nerd Show, Luke Giaconetti, GeekPod, Lost in Time, J. Jones Goldstein, ITG Blogcast, Siskoid, Noel Deal, Avarandin Mathi, Tuck, John Turley, Ariel Celestino, Alex's Comic Rant, Shooting Breezes, John M. Wilson is Podcasting Again, and The KirbyCast. On Facebook, it was liked and shared by Joe Sedano, Roderick Castle III, Jesse Starcher, GeekPod, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Pat Sampson, Mike Peacock, Gene Hendricks, Joe Crawford, Michael Allen Carlisle, Guntam Shioran, Derek William Crabb, and Dan Ostroff. And on Facebook, talking a little bit on the post for that episode with Jesse Starcher, who hosts the Source Material Comics podcast. We had recently met each other and started talking. 
And on that post for that episode, he said, Coincidentally, we just recorded an episode on the Trial of Galactus shortly after I heard this. Of course, Trial of the Watcher, Trial of Galactus, Trial of Phoenix. These cosmic types cannot stay out of trouble. Anyway, if you would like to help the show and promote it, or you know what, if you just want your ego stroked and you want me to say your name on the show, that's okay. I get it. I understand. It's cool. I'm fine with your re- whatever your reasons are for doing it. So here's the different social media ways you can find us. On Facebook, just go in the search box, type in Adam Warlock, Thanos will pop up pretty high up there. On Twitter, at Adam Thanos Pod. Tumblr, our Tumblr page is there. I put up a post most days, majority of days. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Send us an email. It's been a while since I got an email. I would read it here. Resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. And of course, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Been a while since I got one of those. I would definitely read that on the show. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. I hope you enjoyed what you heard because this was only half the episode. Come back in episode 80 as we finish covering 1,000 Clowns. We'll see you then. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. This is going to go away. Okay. Did I just hit delivered? Yeah, it's oh. just out. Oh, cool. Oh, my God. It's so good. Isn't it? Oh, my God. This is my tongue. <laughs> okay, well, we're still going. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're warlocking. Okay. I will. He's out Sedano. You know out Sedano. Hi, Al Sedano. Hey. Say hi, Al. Hi, Lily. Hey, Al. Hello, Lily. Hey, Al. <laughs> Keena remembers you from the, uh, Lily remembers you from the emails from years ago. Uh, yeah. Yes, and we actually actually met briefly. Did y'all meet briefly? Oh, at a restaurant, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, she came with me to to food. Yeah, that's right. Both of both of them did. Yep. Yep. Cool. Okay. Um, so yeah, you were the something. first people I saw in Florida when I moved here. Oh, well, the first people we had names for. Well, not, who weren't in cars randomly. Right. Or giving you a seat at the Cracker Barrel. Yeah. All right. So, um...